Let me just remind you, as Brother Keith did, please sign up for the prayer. We got 14 hours of prayer, but we're asking if you'd just fill in one of those hours. And uh, all through the night, we'll be doing it. If you've got your Bibles today, I want you to turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. We're on a series we started last week called Taking What Belongs to Us. Today, we're going to talk about a call girl that called on God. Uh, in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Let's read together. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. No, oh, that was a lie, but anyway. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Need to underline that that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what, did, what you did to those two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, he's God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours if none of you tell the business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. I used to work for a company called Staff Leasing where we leased employees. Uh, business, business owners, besides paying the payroll, paying the salary or paying the wages of their employees, they've got a lot of things they have to pay required by the government. They have to pay FUDA and SUDA, which is federal unemployment tax, state unemployment tax. They have to play, pay the half of the FICA, the, the Social Security and Medicare, up to a certain position. They have to pay workers' comp. In Florida, if you have four or more employees, you've got to pay workers' comp insurance, basically, which is insurance to protect the company and the uh, employee. If they were to get hurt on the job, they're going to have some kind of income. And the workers' comp rate is based on how risky that job is that you do. In other words, if you're a clerical, you're behind a desk, 
you don't have to pay very much for workers' comp for that person. But if they're uh, up on a roof, you've got to pay a lot. For example, if you've got 10 employees, you're a business owner, and you've got four that work in the office, you've got to pay, I think the, the rate is 17 cents for every $100 you pay them. You've got to pay 17 cents as workers' comp. If they've uh, got two in the warehouse working, you've got to pay a different workers' comp rate because it's a little more risky. If there's one that's a truck driver, you've got to pay a different rate for that one and so on and so forth. It just depends on how risky the job is. Now, some jobs are very risky, and you've got to pay a high workers' comp rate. Back when I was doing this back in the early 90s, a roofer, you had to pay about $50. For every $100 you paid him in a salary, you had to pay $50 more for workers' comp for him. So your overhead was pretty, pretty st steep. I didn't realize that I was looking up what a roofer's rate today is now. It's only $14 and something. It's come down considerably. I didn't believe insurance ever came down, did you? But it is. It's, came, it's come down considerably, 15% just from 2023. There's a lot of dangerous jobs. There's logging and there's oil rig workers, commercial fishermen. Commercial fishermen in Alaska, that's a very high risk. And they have to pay a lot because it's very dangerous. I'm going to talk to you about a job that's more dangerous than that, if you want to call it a job. It's prostitution. Prostitution, of course, the selling of your body for sexual favors for money. They got all kinds of names of prostitute, hooker, call girl, street walker, harlot, sex worker, and on and on. Listen to this. The Urban Institute says there's more cash flowing through the sex industry than drug industry and guns combined. The number one city in America for prostitution is Atlanta, Georgia. Prostitutes are physically attacked on average of once a month. And a prostitute, 204 out of every 100,000 die. Commercial fishermen, which is very risky, is 129 out of 100,000. The average pimp, those that take, get the customers and the prostitutes work for, or companies, in Kansas City, the average pimp makes $5,000 a week. In Atlanta, Georgia, the average pimp makes $32,000 a week. A week. It's estimated that there's 40 to 42 million prostitutes in the world today. About 34 million are women, about 8 or 9 million are men. 80% of them are females from the age of 13 to the age of 25 called the world's oldest profession. Now that's quite a way to introduce a sermon, ain't it? <laughs> but the Bible introduces it a lot more than I just did. There's prostitutes like Tamar or Gomer. Book of Revelation talks about a great harlot in Revelation 17. Some translations say a great whore. Paul preached to the church at Corinth. And there was pagan worship in Corinth. And Aphrodite, the temple of Aphrodite, they had a thousand prostitutes as part of their pagan worship. Most say it was a prostitute that was bathing, the hair, bathing with her hair and her tears, the feet of Jesus in the house of Simon. So we're talking about a subject that's pretty, pretty prominent in the Word of God. But this woman here today, Rahab, was a woman of faith. Uh, she was a woman that was powerful in many different ways, and God honored her for her faith. 
the trip from Egypt. We're looking at the book of Joshua. It's talking about the Israelites going into the promised land to take what God had provided for them. The trip from Egypt to the promised land was about a 14-day trip. When they got released from bondage in Egypt, it should have took them about 14 days to get into there, but it took them over 40 years. Because when you ain't walking by faith, you're going around in circles. And they weren't making any progress with God in the wilderness. But this is a woman that had great faith. The Bible, When the Bible talks about faith, and that's what we're going to talk about today, it talks about how faith operates, how it acts. Abel offered worship. Noah, his faith, he built an ark. Moses, his faith, he left Egypt and Pharaoh. So let's talk about this today, and let's look at what it's going to take to possess what God's provided for you in the kingdom of God. It's going to take faith. First of all, let's look at Rahab uh, and the Hall of Faith. In Cooperstown, New York, is the baseball, pro baseball Hall of Fame. In Canton, Ohio, is the pro football Hall of Fame. In Cleveland, Ohio, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nashville, Tennessee, Country Music Hall of Fame. The Bible has a Hall of Fame, kind of. Most people say uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is God's Hall of Fame, where he names out people that were great people of faith. In that list of great people of faith, there's only two women mentioned. One's named Sarah, one's named Rahab. Sarah was a godly woman. Rahab was a prostitute, but she was a great woman of faith. Why is God putting somebody like that in there? Look at her race. She wasn't even a Jewish. She was a Gentile. She was a a Canaanite, the enemies of God. She wasn't a holy woman. She was a prostitute, a streetwalker, woman of the night. The Canaanites were known for a lot of things, mostly their cruelty and their brutality and their immorality. How can God put people like Rahab and honor her as a woman of faith? His grace. His grace. God can make a prostitute pure. He can make a heathen holy. He can make a crook like Zacchaeus. Say, I'll give up the fourth time for what I've stole, if I've stolen anything from any man. God can take a murderer like Moses and make him a mighty leader. He can take a persecutor like Paul and make him a powerful preacher. His grace and his blood reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley. Can you say thank God for grace? Grace is what turns it around. Don't look down on her. Look in the mirror because we're all sinners that were saved by grace. Rahab's city, Jericho. Let's look at verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Okay, they're going into Jericho to spy out the land. Now, Jericho is considered the oldest city in the world. Did you know that? It was retaken by Israel in the Six-Day War in 1967. It's in the West Bank region. It's about 18 miles east of Jerusalem. It's not only the oldest city in the world, it's the lowest city in the world. It's 846 feet below sea level. Very unusual place. Jericho was the last city that Jesus walked through on the way to Jerusalem to go to the cross. Bartimaeus wouldn't have got him that time. He'd have never got his sight. Jesus was walking through 
the last if you were to look at Williston and say what's the last city if somebody was coming to Williston if it was coming from one way it'd be Bronson the other way it'd be Raleigh another way it could be Flemington another way it could be Fellowship another way it could be uh, I was going to say Morrison maybe a place like that but these are the last places you would come to if you're on your way to Williston on one of the main roads well that's the place that's where Jericho was now, in Florida, they got something called the I-4 corridor, which is kind of from Tampa, St. Pete area. I-4 goes all the way across through Orlando to the, from, one, from the Gulf Coast to the Atlantic Coast, basically that side of Florida. Kind of cuts Florida in half. A lot of people say that is a key area, demographic area for po uh, politics, for voting, and things like that. Joshua's going into Jericho because Jericho's kind of dividing the promised land in two. He's going to get that accomplished, and then he can take care of the north and the south from there. But he's trying to go in there strategically. Now, he sends two spies in there. This is familiar. Now, last time Joshua was involved with spies, there was 12 spies that went in there that Moses sent in there. Joshua and Caleb, the only two spies that really had a good report. But he's not sending 12. He's sending two in. He's not sending two in to see what the land looks like. He's sending two in to see where the enemy is stationed so they can know how to strategically attack this place. They know they're going to get it. Now it's just how we're going to do it. Let me say this. We all need to know where the enemy's stationed. We all need to know where the enemy's hiding out, where his tactics are, how he operates. We need to know the enemy. For too long, God's people keep their head in the sand and don't pay attention to what the enemy's doing. Paul said this. We are not ignorant of his devices. We see what he's doing. We know what he's up to. We're prepared for everything he does. We're a step ahead of him. When I was in high school, we played football on Friday night. And uh, the next week, we're getting ready for the next game. On Monday, we would watch film of our last game, the Friday night game. And he'd point out when you're missing blocks or what you did wrong or whatever. Uh, so we could see how we played and get it critiqued a little bit or graded. And then from the rest of the week... What film we watched was of the enemy, or the opponent, I guess I'd say. The one that we're going to be coming against. We want to know how they did things. We want to know who their better players were, what their tactics were, what their tendencies were, and all this kind of stuff. We were studying the enemy, and you need to know your enemy. You need to know what, God, what the enemy's up to, what the devil's about. Look in verse 2 and, and, and verse 3. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, the enemy's already up sees what's going on and he's ready behold men have come here tonight from the children of israel to search out our country so the king of jericho goes to rahab wonder why he went to her first some say that's where most people went first most men when they come into town they went there bring out the men who've come to you who have entered your house for they've come to search out all the country something going on here we want to we've heard there's some people that's uh, come to your place, and we want you to send them out here. And so he's very much aware of it. The enemy was on to him, and the enemy's aware of people that's a threat to him. Have you ever noticed that? In the, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, there's seven sons of Sceva that are trying to cast out demons, and they can't do it. And the demon says to them, says, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but we don't know who you are. And they jumped on them and tore them apart and all this kind of stuff. Does the enemy know who you are? Does the enemy know where you stay? Does the enemy know what you're up to? He needs to. If you're a threat to him, 
if he don't know anything about you, you're not much of a threat to him whatsoever. So the king went straight to Rahab and found, tried to find this out. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Rahab's deception. Look, look at verses 4 through 8. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly and you may overtake them. Take off after them, see if you can find them what she's saying but she had brought them up to the roof and hit them with the stalks of flax which she had laid on the order in order on the roof then the men pursued them by the road to the jordan to the fords so the 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 king's army's out there chasing them all over the place looking and she's got them hid up there and uh everything's okay and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out they shut the gate now before they laid down she came up to them on the roof okay so she's hiding the spies. Now, that opens up a can of worms to a lot of people. Does God work through people that's lying? She's lying, deceiving. Is it ever a time when it's okay to lie? That's a good question. Does God work with liars? Does the end justify the means? Doesn't matter how you get the results as long as you get the end results. Well, first of all, God doesn't work with any perfect people. Do you know that? He works with people of faith, people that will trust him, people that will believe him, people that will obey him. Now, I don't think we ought to be too judgmental on Rahab. I'm not condoning lying at all. I'm not condoning that, but the, uh, it's a sin. I mean, we got all kind of lies, big lies, little lies, black lies, white lies, exaggeration, perjury. Okay, you can lie in many ways, and Charlie Brown uh, in his cartoon, uh, Lucy or somebody was telling a lie. And he said something about it, and she said, it was just a white lie. He said, does what, lies come in different colors? And so a lot of times, uh, lies can be many different ways. We won't go into that. But here's why I'm not going to judge her too harshly and why God still put her in the Hall of Fame, because of her faith. First of all, uh, this is a matter of life and death. If she gets caught, she's dead. She's gone. So she's, it's a matter of life and death, and she's making a decision looking out for her family. She knows the Israelites are coming. She's going to be dead in a couple of days anyway. Because when they come, it's not going to be looking good. So she's putting her life on the line, and she's going to risk it with the king. And if he finds out, he's going to kill her. But anyway, so it's a matter of life and death. Would you tell a lie? Now, I would, I would pat you on the back if you would not tell a lie and you'd let the enemy take your life. I'm going to stand for Jesus, and I don't care. That's great. God commends that. But now, if you said, I don't want the enemy to kill my wife and kids or whatever, I'm going to have to take a lie. That's what she's doing. She's looking out for her whole family here. Second thing, the reason I ain't throwing too hard of stones at her right now is she doesn't know the Ten Commandments. She doesn't know the things of God. She doesn't know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. She just knows, She's heard of their God. She doesn't know anything about the tabernacle or the priests or, or the 12 tribes or anything like that. She just heard of their God. She didn't know that lying is one of the Ten Commandments. She's breaking one. She doesn't know all of that. She's just doing whatever she can to survive right at this moment. Now, you don't have to know a lot of things to be used by God. But God uses people of faith. It doesn't condone sin in any way. I don't ever condone sin. 
But you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know a lot about the Lord before God can use you. I hear a lot of people say that. I would witness, but I just so much about the Bible I don't know about, so I keep my mouth shut. No. God can use anybody that will trust him and walk by faith. heard one time of a young preacher that was called to a big city church like Boston or someplace like a big old church. And he was, he's in his 20s, and he'd been there a couple of weeks, and he wrote home to his father, called his father, and said, Dad, I don't know if I can preach in a big church like this. He said, what's the matter, son? He said, I say something about medicine. I got six doctors out in that congregation. I say something about history. I got four college professors out in my congregation. I say something about medicine or, or, or uh, about the law. I've got lawyers. I've got policemen. I've got this and I've got that and all these different areas. I don't know what to say. He said, just say something about Jesus. They probably don't know nothing about that. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Uh, so Rahab, one preacher said Rahab needs to be in rehab. Well, we all need to be in rehab. I'll tell you this. God uses people that will trust him and believe him. He's still working on those other things, and we'll see that in just a minute. Rahab's faith. Now we're going to talk about what this message is about. If you're going to possess what God's provided for his kids, you're going to have to walk by faith. And I'm going to show you what three basic elements of what faith is. Let's look at uh, her faith. Here's what somebody said about faith. Little faith will bring your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Faith is to believe what you do not see. And the reward of faith is to finally see what you just believed. Jesus rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith. And he noticed people that had faith and complimented people that had great faith. He's very much aware. He can see what faith looks like. So I'm going to show you three aspects of faith that we all need to understand. Number one, faith cometh by faith hearing the word look at verse 10 and 11 this is Rahab talking to him now she says we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to those two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed and as soon as we heard these things our hearts melted Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he's the God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Right, you need to circle the words there used twice. Heard. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. Rahab heard of what the Lord had done. She heard of the parting of the Red Sea. Now, wait a minute. Think about this. That took place 40 years ago. More than likely, a prostitute's in her teens or in her 20s. So that took place before she was born. It's not like she heard about it just happened last week. I heard what happened. No, she heard about something that happened 40 years ago. So somebody had to tell her or the word had gotten around. I'll tell you what, when God does things like that, somebody's going to hear about it. You know it. She heard how God did that, said our hearts melted. When you truly faith is born when you hear God's word. It affects your mind. It affects your feelings. Our hearts melt. It affects your will, how you act, what you, how you think, how you feel, and how you do. That's what faith is all, it's all tied up in that. Uh, a lot of people 
That's why we tell you, stay in the Word of God. That's what builds your faith. That's what increases your faith. Let me tell you this. Now, we're in a fast, but I'll tell you something. I love steak. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, love, I love chicken. I love fried chicken. I love baked chicken. I love barbecue chicken, chicken and dumplings, chicken and rice, and so on and so forth. I love bacon and eggs and sausage and biscuits. I love fish and hush puppies. I love all that. And when this fast's over, Lord willing, I'm going to eat some of that again. And let me tell you this, the same way with the Word of God. A lot of people read, oh, I've already read that book. I don't have to read. You can feed on this the rest of your life. You can just keep eating and keep eating and keep eating. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more you feed on the Word of God, the more it builds your faith. You're reminded over and over again, that's my God. Look what He's done. Look what He will do. And, and you're just, your faith is supposed to grow. Now, faith, after that, stands on the promises of God. It's born or it comes by the hearing of the Word, but it stands on the promises of God. Look at verse 9. And said to the man, I know, uh, now, this is different from I heard. I know that the Lord has given you the land. That's the promise God made to the Israelites. She's heard of that promise. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, wait a minute. She knows she's on somebody else's property. She knows that land belongs to God's people. She's living there. You remember that old folk song, Woody Guthrie saying, this land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Islands, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. She couldn't sing that. She said, this land's for you. But she said, I want, I want it to be mine too. I know this land's going to be yours, and you're coming to get it. You're coming to take it. You're coming through Jericho to take it. But I want to be a part of it. That's the same way it is about heaven. I heard about a man named Jesus, the Son of God, that paid a price and purchased a place for people in heaven, and I want in on it. Yeah. And that's, what I, that's why I went to him in repentance and prayer. That's what she's saying. I know this land is yours. She's got more faith that they're supposed to have the land than the ten spies that came back. She said, this is y'all's. I know this. God's given it to you. Now, once again, she's, faith not, doesn't just hear the word, it believes and stands on the promises of God's Word. I told you a few weeks ago, I got all my grandchildren are different uh, in many different ways. I was with Lauren's little boy, Everett, uh, when we went up to uh, October to see her. And uh, Everett's very perceptive. He's liable to say anything. He's got deep thoughts. And uh, I was up there going with her to get him from the school. They were at the Christian school and went to pick him up. And we were coming out of there, and there was a little girl standing on the side, and she tapped him on the shoulder and went by. I said, whoa, Everett, who's that little girl tapping you on the shoulder? He said, that's Mary. He said, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> and so I feel like Art Linklater, I can just be serious with him, and you never know what he's going to say. I said, you're going to marry her? He said, Yes. I said, do you love her? He said, yes, in my mind I love her. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, have you asked her? 
He said, no, not yet, Papa. I said, are you going to ask her in class or something? He said, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. I said, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he never know what he's going to say. What, one time when they were here, before they went back, I was going to have prayer with them. And that morning, he got bitten by ants pretty bad. Anyway, I was thinking about it. I said, Everett, you're going to say your prayers. Ella's going to go next, and then Papa will I'll finish it. So, Everett, you go ahead, go ahead and say your prayers. He said, okay. And he's just as serious as me. He says, dear God, I hope you had a good day today. <laughs> Please don't let the ants bite me tomorrow. Uh, and, and when I make a long story short, his, his, his sincerity was real. He didn't have a lot of depth, maybe knowing a lot about the things of God. But I'm going to tell you what, you don't have to be a theologian to have great faith in God. Sometimes the more we learn about things, the more questions we have, the less it is for God to use us. Sometimes we need the simplicity of childlike faith. Uh, but anyway, that's what this woman has. She doesn't know a lot about the things of God. She just heard of God, and she knows what his promises were. Larry Bird, most of y'all, if you know anything about pro basketball or college basketball, Larry Bird is a great ball player. He played for the Boston Celtics. He came out of French Lick, Indiana. And he was, he was not only a great basketball player, he was a great trash talker. I was listening to some other guys that played against him. He said, man, he could trash talk with anybody out there on the court. He'd say, I'm going to get the ball right over here and I'm going to shoot it and you can't stop me or something. All this while the game's going on. Anyway, Larry Bird, he was good. Uh, they were, they're down by a point or two with about four seconds to go, and they called timeout to come over to the bench. And Larry Bird just said, spoke right up and said, just get me the ball and get out of the way. Get me the ball and get out of the way. And coach, the coach was K.C. Jones. And coach said, wait a minute, Larry. You're not coaching this team. I'm the coach. I tell us what we're going to do. I do the plays. Nobody said nothing. Coach looked down there a little bit, and he said, Get Larry the ball and get out of the way. <laughs> and that's really the way it needs to be with the Lord. Give it to him and get out of the way. That's what faith is. You're standing not only on his word, but you're standing now on his promises, and you're putting yourself on his promises. Now, don't complicate it. Here's the third thing about faith. Faith acts on the word of God. It's acting, acting on the word of God. Verse 11, again, I don't know if I put it back. Though. If, if not, that's okay. Uh, she, I don't know how much she knows about God. I don't know how much she knows about him, but, but she's acting on what she does know. She believes that the God of Israel is the true God of heaven and earth. There's many gods floating around, pagan gods. Listen to some of the views people have of, of God today. Atheists, they believe there is no God, doesn't even exist. Agnostic, they believe there can be a God, but nobody can know. Pantheist. That's somebody that believes God is all in everything. That's a new age concept too. God's in the altar, he's in the carpet, he's in the trees, and this and this. Polytheism. That's a belief there's many gods. Paul ran into that in Athens. They just had all kinds of gods and even one to the unknown God. Deism. Deism is a belief that God, there is a God. He created this whole earth but he's not involved in it anymore. He just created it, and now it's up to man to take care of it. He's sitting out there watching it, pretty much. There's all kind of views of God. All she knows is Israel's got the true God. He's the God of heaven and the God of earth. 
she's not trying to pick things out. A lot of people look at the Bible and look at God like a salad bar. You go to a salad bar and you say, I want that, I'm going to put that on there and get some of that, I don't like that, like this. And you, you pick and choose. A lot of people do that with the Word of God. I like that, and I don't like this about God. I don't, no, I don't. You're creating your own little God. And, and she, she understands the true God. Let me say this. Seems like she's trying to manipulate God. She's telling the spies, uh, if y'all do this for me, I'm doing this for y'all. Y'all got to do this for me. It's not really manipulate. It's really an act of her faith. Let me say this. Prayer is always conditional. You got to meet conditions for prayer. God's love is always unconditional. God loves you whether you love him back or not. But prayer, you're going to have to believe. You're going to have to do something uh, to get God to move. That's just the way it is. So she's asking for her family to be spared when the armies show up. She says, y'all make sure you spare me and my family, my mom and my daddy and my brothers and my sisters, our family. And, of course, they're, they're willing to do that. And so she, they come up with this plan. We're going to hang a scarlet cord out the window. So when we come to attack and take this city, we'll know where you're at. Aren't you glad God knows where we're at? Have you ever thought about that? There's almost 8 billion people in this world hollering, crying, doing this and that. But God can hear the cry of one of his kids in a second and knows exactly where they're at. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Timothy 2.19. Here's what it says. The Lord knows them that are his. He knows the sheep. He knows the goats. He can tell the difference. He can tell the difference between a wheat and a tear, a true prophet, a false prophet. God knows. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. I can identify a lot of people. Used to be you could identify Pentecostals. Years ago, old Pentecostals, you could identify them by the way they looked. They, had their, they didn't cut their hair. They didn't have makeup and jewelry. Uh, very modest dressing, the way they dressed, the women. And you could spot them a mile away. Can't spot them as easy now. As when we were singing, <laughs> you can't. When we were singing, uh, we used to go to a lot of Baptists. I can spot a Baptist just as good as I can spot a Pentecostal. <laughs> now, I, I'm not joking about that. I, that you got to look about you. Uh, but anyway, uh, when I was at University of Florida, I could spot a Harry Krishna. That's not hard to do. They in their pink outfit and their ponytail and shade, whatever, weird. Uh, you can spot a bodybuilder. I mean, somebody that's really push, pumping iron to build their body, they want you to spot them. I mean, they got a tight shirt on and, uh, and they're looking there over that way or whatever, you know. <laughs> you can spot them. I could spot somebody that most of the time that used to be a wrestler, not a pro wrestler, but a wrestler. They usually have cauliflower ears. But anyway, I can spot a lot of things. Thank God he can spot us. He can spot his children, and he knows where we live. He knows our heart. He knows our faith. He knows what's going on. They made this deal. They said, we will protect you. We will not let anything happen to you when we come to take this city. So the spies go back to Joshua with the report, and they're feeling good. They're feeling really strong. It's not like it was when the spies came back 40 years earlier. They said, this is ours. God's given us this. Something about the faith of others and what God's doing, it, it inspires people. 
Look at verse 23 and 24, and let's see what, how it all, just how that ended up. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. God's done this. For indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. So they're very confident, God, we're going to take this. Uh, this little harlot, I think, helped inspire them too. I think it was Brandon, Crystal, and Adam and Lauren bought me. One of the things they bought me for Christmas was an Ancestry app or program or something. I've always wanted to look at my family tree, see where we come from. And I can tell from my father's side, they eventually came through South Carolina and on that way. My uh, mother's side came from Indiana and up there. But I've, I've gotten it down back, now I've got it back to about five generations. I'm back to about the 1800s or late 1700s. I'm going to try, it's harder and harder once you go much farther than that, but, but it's interesting to me. If you look at the family tree of Jesus, you're going to see four women there in his family tree. One's called Ruth, who was a Moabite. The Moabites were the enemies of God's people until she came back home. You're going to see a woman named Bathsheba. We know about Bathsheba. Had an adulterous relationship with David. And you're going to see two other women in the family tree of Jesus, Tamar and Rahab, two prostitutes. That's Jesus' family tree from the earth. We look down at Rahab. Rahab, though, had a boy named Boaz who married a woman named Ruth. So Rahab, this prostitute, was the great-great-grandmama of King David. In the Bible, you, a lot of times God would change people's name, like he changed Jacob to Israel. But every time you see Rahab mentioned in the Bible, it always says Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. There's a lot of people like that, Naaman the leper, Ruth the Moabite, Mary Magdalene who had seven devils cast out of her. But it says Rahab the harlot. It's almost like they never let you forget where you came from. Even in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith, it's Rahab the harlot. In James, we studied last week talking about faith, it was Rahab the harlot. And a lot of people look down on this woman from where she came. We don't know what drove her to that. You may not have had her life, but do you have her faith? John Sango, pastor out of Houston years ago, he was in, his, in the living room reading a book his little five-year-old daughter named Melody, she came in there and said, Daddy, would you build me a dollhouse? And he said, yeah, honey, I'll build you a dollhouse. She went on, he kept reading. Didn't think no more about it. About 30, 40 minutes later, he looked out the window out in the backyard and he saw his little daughter carrying some dolls outside. He watched her a little bit and she'd go get some more stuff and bring it out there, putting it under the tree. And he hollered in there to his wife. He said, what is Melody doing? 
He said, she told me you said you would build her a dollhouse. And she believed your promise. And she's getting ready for it. He said, I'll tell you what. I jumped up and started building a dollhouse. When I see somebody that believes like that and believes to the point you can see it, James said, I'll show you my faith. She was getting ready for it. This young prostitute was a woman of faith. Let me say this, and it's going to take faith if you're going to have what God has provided. You're going to have to fight for it by faith a lot of times or you'll lose it. Four things. She knew who the true God was. Wasn't a great theologian. She just said, I'm living in a world of false gods, but I know your, your God is the true God. She knew what God had done. She said, I've heard what he did at the Red Sea, what he did to these two kings. He's the God of heaven and earth. He's all powerful. She knew who he was and knew what he could do. She knew this. Because of that, she knew judgment was coming quickly. She knew if something doesn't happen, Israelites are going to come in the next day or two, she's going to be gone. There's a lot of people today that claim they have faith, but they don't realize you're not that far away from eternity. None of us are that. You may think, you may not even make it home today. But she's aware, i got to make a decision. Because I see the end of the road for me and my family. And the fourth thing about her faith was she knew she needed salvation. She needed somebody to rescue her, somebody to deliver her, somebody to rescue her. And I'll tell you this, when you've got that kind of faith, you also care about those around you. She didn't just want, just save me. If you don't save anybody else, save me. She said, no, you save my mom and daddy. And my brothers and sisters, faith, it's going to take faith. You're going to, it comes by hearing. You believe enough to take God's promises for real and stand on them. And you have to act if you really believe. Faith will manifest itself and you have to do whatever it takes for God to bring the answer to you. Would you stand with me? You know, it takes faith to take the possession, possession of what God's provided for us as Christians. It takes faith to get into the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know who he is, what he did for you, if you don't know that you're facing judgment one day and you're standing on the verge of facing him and he's your only hope and your only answer if you don't realize that I'm here to tell you today that's where we are church it's going to take faith to get into the kingdom of God it's going to take faith to enjoy the possessions that God's provided for his kids but it's going to take faith to get into the kingdom if you don't know him today if you've been playing around putting it off for another day not paying any attention to what really matters in life He's calling you. He called me in 1975 in a theater. I walked down to the front of the theater 
gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I wasn't in no church. I didn't care if anybody else went. I was the only one that went, went down there. Maybe if somebody else come later. God's got you here today for one reason. There's not just a Jericho out there. There's a God you're going to have to answer to. And if he doesn't rescue you, you're going to face him. I invite you to come and give your heart to him if you don't know him. Jesus paid the price. Thank God he did. It's grace. It doesn't matter what your life was. It's grace. He'll change you. He can take a, a harlot and put her up there for everybody to see for all eternity. That's a woman of great faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see every heart and every life. If there's any here today that do not know you or have known about you and heard and heard all the stories, read the, the Bible, but they have not truly given their heart to Jesus, I pray today, Lord, this will be the brand new day for them. If there's any here today that's struggling in their life, these 21 days of prayer and fasting, they're the battles of the heat's turned up. If you need prayer today, if you just want to come down there by yourself and pray, you can kneel at these altars. Nobody will mess with you. If you want to stand at these altars, somebody come pray with you. We'll let you pray right by yourself or we'll pray with you. And if you need Jesus, if you need Jesus, don't put it off another day. Today is the day of salvation. So we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name, you see every heart and life. Everybody will leave these, this building here in just a few minutes. And some will be headed to an eternity without you. I pray, Father, we stand on the verge of Jericho, the promised land, all that you've got, or we'll walk away from it. And I pray today for everyone here, may no one leave here carrying the burden of sin, are carrying burdens and hardships that can't get some relief in their walk with you. We thank you, Lord, that you're here to meet our needs. Our hearts are open to you. May someone have the faith to take you at your word. I ask in Jesus' holy name, amen. Okay, all right, church. Come back tonight, Brother Keith will be preaching. Please sign up out there for the prayer and be a part of our prayer vigil. If you need prayer, you come down. We'll pray with you.